member who a few years ago moved back to a longtime family residence uh, in our uh, extended family. Uh, it was a, a residence that uh, really had, uh, in my estimation, very little usefulness. Uh, it had no kitchen, it had no cabinets, it had no appliances, it had no central heating and air system uh, of any sort, and uh, it was hard to uh, picture what the house might become and uh, why we might invest money and time in uh, doing renovations of it. But two things helped me and other family members uh, to enter into a season of renovating this house. One was an acceptance, an acceptance that uh, we, we could and should develop what we have and develop it right where it was. That, that became an accepted reality for us, to develop what we had and to develop it where it was. And number two was a refreshed vision, a, a refreshed picture of what that home could be. And with multiple helps and different uh, organizations and a lot of family members chipping in, over the last several years we've renovated this house. It now has appliances and drywall and new flooring and uh, kitchen uh, cabinets and new sinks and um, uh, new paint around the house, new grain gutters, all sorts of things. It has gone over a complete transformation that now it's a nice, cozy, comfortable, wonderful place to live. The renovation of the home. You know, there are a lot of people uh, over uh, the, the history of church and Christian life that talk about the renovation of a life. And they use similar terminology to building terminology. And, and they talk about it because our lives can feel worn out at times, can't they? They can feel depleted. And perhaps it's never been more acute than in these long, extended seasons uh, of trying to work out all of the changing sands and shifting realities of what COVID has presented our communities and our states, our country, and the world. And we can feel worn out. We, we can grow tired sometimes of things as they are. It feels like sometimes things are not changing uh, in our lives, let alone the world, and we can perhaps wish that we were somewhere else. We can feel stuck at times, feel like we're not growing. We, we, we can begin to observe uh, recycled patterns in our lives that are unhealthy and uh, not good for us. There are relational damages that come into life, and our inner life if we take time to examine it at all, sometimes we can find ourselves in seasons where our inner life feels dry. Well, I want you to know and to be encouraged today that these are common human struggles, and they are struggles to be sure. In fact, hundreds of years ago, God informed us about how Jesus can reshape your life, about how Jesus can come into a life and renovate it from the inside out, and, and what difference that makes and how it develops a new purpose and a new vision for your life. Part of why I'm so excited and thrilled about, excuse me, about the new vision for the church is because I believe that it's going to help carry us into a healthy, wonderful season of spiritual depth and growth and the capacity to reach out and to draw new people into our fellowship. Today I want to talk to you about two realities that, that God wants to bring in Jesus into your life. And as He renovates your life, He provides a new you 
And he provides a new view. A new you and a new view. The way that you view other people. Those are the two realities that we're going to talk about. Where we're going to read out of part of a letter that uh, a man named Paul wrote to a church. A church that met in the Greek city of Corinth. Uh, and Paul does not simply proclaim that the cross was some event in the past which took away the sins of the world. He does say that, but he says more than just that. That's not the only focus that something long ago happened, uh, but he lives the message himself, as we'll see. Uh, Paul's relationship with this church had become strained over time. There have been claims from members of that church that Paul was not an impressive teacher. They would say, you know, his letters are really strong and forceful, but, but when he's in person, he leaves a lot to be desired. They, they uh, were claiming that he was not an effective leader, that he lacked certain spiritual gifts. Uh, we, we think there was probably a third letter to Corinthians that is uh, not known to us now. But it was a letter that, that caused pain back to the, uh, the church there. And so part of this book of 2 Corinthians is talking about reconciliation. He talks about reconciliation with God and how God provides reconciliation for each human life that opens itself up to the goodness and grace of Jesus. So he talks about the reconciliation that God provides to us. And because of that, he talks about then the reconciliation that is, is to be expected out of a Christian life. It becomes part now of a renovated life, a life that's been remodeled in Jesus, now has the capacity and the power and the perspective to be reconcilers in his or her life as a consequence. Let's read together. If you have your Bibles, would you open them, maybe turn them on this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, one of my favorite passages in the scripture, and it's one of the great encouragements for my heart. And it reminds me today of how wonderful God's gift of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation is. It's a beautiful reminder. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. So we're going to look today at the new you of a renovated life. And as Jesus reconstructs and remodels your life from the inside out, the new view 
of the new eyes that he gives you for other people. The new you. He talks in this passage about the new creation. I love the, the, the literal language. That he says, behold, take a look at, don't, don't miss this reality. That a new creation, you are a new creature, the Bible says, because of Jesus in you. But what he focuses on is not so much Jesus being in your life, but the fact that you and I now are in Christ. We are in Christ. The remodeling of a life, the remodeling of a heart, the, the, the change that Jesus brings to our value system, to the things that become dear and important to us, our priorities get shifted. And these are themes that Christians throughout history have focused on. Teresa of Avila is famous for uh, her book, The Interior Castle, where she describes a prayer life and, and looking at the inner part of her world and picturing different facets as if she were going through each room of a castle. And each room has a different purpose. And, and so she invites through prayer Jesus into the, every chamber of her inner world and inviting nothing in her life to be hidden or supposedly unknown from Jesus. She wants to be open in her relationship with him. Dallas Willard writes a book titled The Renovation of the Heart. And he's talking about the same capacity, the same reality that Jesus comes and makes us new creations as we choose then to live and to walk with him. It says that we in Christ are new creations. The old has gone. The old, it literally means that that, that which was once known to us has become obsolete because it's been replaced with something far better. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Have you, can you help me think today, even where you are, about something in the past that's been replaced with something better? If uh, you're watching uh, on the live stream today uh, in the interaction, I want to give you just a minute. If you want to type something in that, that once was so important, but today it has become obsolete. We no longer use it. I want to give you just a minute. I'm going to keep talking here, but if you're typing in the message section, write, write a word in there of something that, that you know used to be important in our world, in our society, maybe in your community or your home growing up, but it's now been replaced with something better, and it's obsolete. Go ahead. And I'm going to give you a, a couple of uh, ideas that came to my mind this week. So as you continue to have fun with that this morning, something that's become obsolete, uh, I want to talk to our younger lives, children and our youth today. Uh, you may have heard your parents talk about a VHS player. Uh, VHS, I still don't know exactly what it stands for, but these used to be, instead of, uh, you don't even hardly know probably what DVDs are anymore, uh, because we do so much streaming, just this direct download onto our devices or television. But DVDs are like a CD that plays a movie, you know that probably. But VHS were the, the, the generation before that. There were these massive bricks of a tape. Uh, in fact, they, there's a reel-to-reel kind of tape, and uh, that's how we used to watch movies. In fact, there were video rental stores all over the country and over every community where you'd go and get a, a subscription and you would check out movies, and on the weekends you'd often watch a movie with your VHS player. Can you imagine for those uh, lives many, many decades ago uh, to get up in the morning and to make breakfast, to, to put something in the oven for dinner, uh, instead of just punching a couple of buttons on an oven, they would 
open up a, a big steel door and put wood inside a stove and light the wood and let it heat up. And uh, that heat would have to sit there for a while and they would have to manage the heat on that stove. And uh, it was a, a, a wood-burning stove in a kitchen. Uh, those became obsolete. Back during World War II on the coast of England, there were uh, things called acoustic mirrors. And this is before the days of radar. And these acoustic mirrors were these huge concave, they were, they were made of concrete, but they were concave structures. And in the middle of these massive, they looked like satellite dishes almost, and in the middle of them was microphones. And they were set up, pointed toward uh, the European continent, and they were intended uh, before and during World War II to pick up uh, audio sounds of airplanes approaching and uh, as airplanes uh, got faster and faster, uh, these things no longer gave them advanced warning that airplanes were coming. And then right not far long after that, radar came. And uh, radar made these uh, acoustic lenses totally obsolete and useless anymore. Can you imagine an airport today that didn't have some form of, of radar communication to track the comings and goings of airplanes, how much damage that would cause? We know in the world what, what uh, things that once uh, were familiar to us have been replaced by something better, and those old things have become obsolete. That is the idea that, that Paul is giving to Corinthians and Paul is giving to us today about this new creation that Jesus brings into your life. When you open yourself to Jesus and the reconciling work of what he's done on the cross and you confess your sin and you enter into this life, it is a remodel of your heart that Jesus begins to do at that very point and carries that remodeling work all the way through until you draw your last breath on planet earth. You see, the old has gone. The old patterns should be, be moving away from us because they are obsolete as you now walk with Jesus in the newness of life. That's why when we baptize people, we talk about them out of Romans chapter 6, being buried with Jesus in baptism and then raised to walk in the newness of life. In Christ, you are new creations. The old has gone away, it's obsolete. The new of Jesus is now to be embedded in your life and growing in your life. The Bible talks about us being reconciled to God through Christ. Through Christ. There are a couple of great theological terms, biblical terms, that uh, we like to use in our preparation for baptism. Great words that we don't use a whole lot uh, uh, regularly anymore. One is the word justification, and the other is reconciliation. Reconciliation, of course, is our focus, focus term this morning. But in Romans chapter 5, if you want to go back later this week and read through Romans chapter 5, especially the first 11 verses, you'll see how Paul there, talking to that church, he, he talks about justification, and then he turns the corner and talks about reconciliation too. Beautifully dense and wonderful words that give description about the character of God and what he's done for you in Jesus. Justification is the word, and it's more of a description of an impersonal judge who makes a verdict without entering into any personal relationship. It's sort of this legal idea that things are officially dealt with, and that's really important. Because things have really been dealt with. The sin issue of a life 
is really officially dealt with in the coming of Jesus when a person opens their life and says yes to letting Jesus be the centerpiece of his or her life. But in, in a courtroom setting, if you've ever sat as a jurist or sat observing a courtroom or maybe even been a, a, a party to a lawsuit, you sit before a judge and normally um, you, 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 you aren't expected uh, aren't expecting the judge to invite you out for dinner, that you just don't have that sort of relationship, even though you might benefit from the verdict the judge uh, uh, delivers in your case. But that, that's the idea of justification. God is declaring something to be so, just like a judge might declare someone not guilty. That's what God has done in that sense. But then in Romans 5, he goes on to talk about reconciliation, and there's this shift in the conversation, this shift in the metaphor that takes place, uh, because Paul is taking the, the, this picture one step further, not just this impersonal judge of uh, a justifier, but also a reconciler. God is a reconciler of life. You see, the judge as a reconciler, not just a verdict giver, but as a reconciler, he enters into a personal relationship with the one who's accused. And he, it's, he does it, and it's necessary because the judge is the one who has uh, been affected by the crime. That's what he's trying to communicate spiritually. God is the one who has been affected by the crime of sin, so to speak. And yet, as the judge, he enters into a personal relationship with the accused, even though he, as the judge, is the one who has been personally affected by the hostility that the act of the accused has done. You see, God doesn't just make in reconciliation. God does not just make a bookkeeping uh, alteration. He doesn't just sharpen his pencil and write in the ledger that something has changed. That's impersonal. But reconciliation is something very personal. Reconciliation is a word that you should cherish, just like justification. Because reconciliation points to the fact that God desires a personal relationship with you. And he comes out of his uh, uh, judicial bench. He comes to make a relationship with you and drops the charges against you. And he gives himself to us in friendship so that the brokenness of our relationship with God can be reversed. It's a very personal and intimate encounter. This idea of reconciliation. One commentator says this. He says that uh, David Garland says that the ministry of reconciliation, it involves more than just simply explaining to others what God has done in Christ. If we, Paul says, we are now ministers of reconciliation. God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. But what Paul is aiming at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is more than just explaining what God has done in Christ, as important as that is. It also requires that someone become an active reconciler yourself. You see, this, this is how theology works itself out in the practical realities of life. It is the reality of knowing Jesus as my reconciler, reconciling me back to God. And then because he's renovating your heart, he's repairing and restoring your inner life, he now is taking you and guiding you and empowering you to be a reconciler toward others. And this is the new view. We talked about the new you. If anyone is in Christ, 
They are a new creation. The old is gone. It's now obsolete. And the new of Jesus is emerging in their life. That's the new you. Now God, uh, Paul talks about God through Paul, talks about the new view, that we are to view people in a different way. He says earlier in this passage, he says that uh, we no longer view people. We no longer view other people from a merely worldly point of view. That's not what the call of Christian. We cannot do that. Christian man or woman, Christian boy or girl, you cannot any longer view other people from a worldly point of view. That's not an option available to you. If you were to be walking in the pathway of Jesus renovating your life, but you were to have a new view, you would have a new view of yourself. He describes you as an ambassador of God. He describes you as a co-worker of God. Say it with me. Can you say this phrase with me wherever you are today? I don't make it feel silly to you, but can you verbalize these words? I am God's co-worker. Try it at home. I know if you're at home by yourself, it may seem silly, but just hear the words come over your lips and hear your own voice in your ears. I am God's co-worker. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you're in Christ, you are now not just somebody who's been redeemed and reconciled, but you are a co-worker charged with this message of reconciliation. You are an ambassador of God. You, you are to represent Jesus in this reconciling message in the world. Whether you are a parent to your children or a student among other students in your classroom or on Zoom or with your teachers and the administration, you represent Jesus. If you're an employee at your workplace or a boss to others, you are a representative of Jesus. In your married life as a husband or a wife, you are a representative. You're an ambassador. You're a co-worker with God in your neighborhood. You see, this is so important that we understand this as a church about what our calling is going forward is that we are to call our and beyond to live in the fullness of life that comes through Jesus. This is the reconciling message of God that He has given to you. Not just to a pastor, not just to these apostles, but He has given it to each one of us. We have a new view of ourselves. We are ambassadors, we are God's co-workers, but we also have a new view of others. A new view of others. We are given the message of reconciliation. And did you catch what he says toward the end of what we read today? It's as if God is making his appeal through us. In the world, it's as if God is making his appeal of reconciliation through your life. Through the way you practice reconciliation. Through the words you speak. Through the love you offer others through the way you seek out Jesus to be renovating your heart, remodeling your life from the inside out so that you can live in the reconciliation of Jesus and go out and do the work of reconciliation. This is, brother and sister, your calling in Christ. This is our calling together as a church. This is why we have reshaped our mission statement to call Marin and beyond to live in the fullness of life through Jesus. And as you will see in the weeks and months to come, we are calling everybody in the church to examine the four critical areas that we've identified biblically that are so important for us and for you to live in. One, and to practice regularly. One is worship. One is to grow, and we're going to talk about that. 
especially at the beginning of the new year and as we develop our small group ministry in a more robust way, we're going to be people who serve the needs of others and understand how God has equipped us in His Spirit to serve in the church and outside the walls of the church for the kingdom of God and for the glory of God. And today, in these weeks, we're talking about connecting. What, what does it mean for us as a church? We call these our four life essentials. And we're talking about connect. How it is to connect to the mission of God and how we are to be about connecting others to the reconciliation of God. That is what we are talking about. And here's what I want to close and wrap up with today. It's an invitation for you. Something that we can do together starting today. Starting this day, what I want to call you into, and it's, it's for the next many, many weeks to come, and it's something I think is pretty simple. It's called pray one by one. Pray one by one. The idea is one neighborhood, once a week. One neighborhood, once a week. Pray one by one. One neighborhood, once a week. And here's what I have in mind. Is that before we do anything to reach out to the community, we need to seek collectively. Together, we need to seek the Lord and ask Him how we can join Him so that we can be His co-workers in the world. And so we're going to start not by activity, not by going out and doing something, but together we're going to start in prayer. We're going to pray one by one, one neighborhood, once a week. For most of you, that's probably going to be your neighborhood. And here's what I, how I'm envisioning it. Is that you schedule in your, your weekly calendar one time a week that you will pray as you are in your neighborhood. Some of you might not choose to go and do all sorts of other neighborhoods. That's fantastic. But I'm guessing most of you will want to begin to pray right for the neighborhood where you live. Maybe in the morning when you open your shade, you have your cup of coffee in your hand, and you're looking out... As we head into the winter months and it's darker in the mornings, maybe a little fog in the air, you look out your window or out your front door as you collect your newspaper and you just simply ask, God, how is your light going to penetrate the dark spaces, even those dark places that I'm unaware of today, right in my neighborhood? God, how would you come and would you work in this neighborhood? That's part of the prayer. The other part of the prayer is, God, would you open my eyes so that I can be a co-worker with you? I, I know that you called me an ambassador, and I really, frankly, don't quite know what that means. But if you called me to be it, and you say that I am one, then prepare me to be one. So pray one by one, one neighborhood, once a week. So I want you, I want to encourage you this moment, pull out your calendar and pick a time every week so that you don't forget. It's a modest goal. I don't want to overwhelm you with a lot of change uh, right out the bat, but it's so important that we collectively pray. If we have 150 people in our church praying once a week for their neighborhood, praying that God would illumine the dark places, that God would touch the loneliness in the lives around us, that, that God would meet marriages that are on the brink of, of dissolving, that God would meet the pain of lost jobs, that God would encounter them, that, that the darkness where there's abuse in homes around you that maybe you're unaware of, that God would penetrate that, and, and along the way that God would prepare you to be an ambassador and a co-worker with Him. Pray one by one. God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We as a church, I'm calling us 
to prayer. I'm calling you to join in this prayer effort to pray one by one, one neighborhood once a week, not starting with doing, but we are starting by seeking God together. I invite you to join me. Would you pray one by one, starting this week? Father, we pray this day that you would encourage our hearts, that you would stir us, that you would call us into prayer, that you would invite us into prayer, that you would remind us how important prayer is, that we would take this seriously. We do our best battle on our knees because the weapons that we use in prayer are not the weapons of the earth, they're the weapons of the Spirit. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that, that as we go into prayer, that you would help us begin to see what you are doing around us. Because for too long, God, we have assumed that the people around us uh, have no interest or are disinterested. And uh, I just believe that, that the harvest fields must still be ripe for harvest. And so I want, I'm just asking God, and as we would pray together, that we would see, we would see the harvest plentiful. We would see hearts that begin inexplicably to many others begin to be softened towards you, that you would help us step into our roles and to grow into these ways of being co-workers with you, of joining you in what you're doing. God, help us uh, not just to have an engagement in a prayer practice, but ultimately to be an ambassador of you, God. We, we want to see what you're doing and to learn how to be part of that. So guide us in it. We pray, Jesus, now. Help us to connect with those who are far from you today. Help us to introduce them to your reconciling work and your offer of new life. And may we live in that new life. May we be reconcilers ourselves. And if there's brokenness in us and in our relationships, we pray, God, that you would bring healing in those today. Today, we ask God.